Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting-edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to Learn to Earn with Tyler Sheff. Welcome to Cashflow Guys Podcast. It's that time again. It's Friday morning. I'm here for another episode, and we are once again back to basics. I, I want to do these every so often because I think that it's good for us. I don't care what your experience level is. I know some of you are rock stars, and some of you, it's day one in real estate investing, and some of you are just somewhere in between. But getting back to basics is important because sometimes I tend to forget that not everybody has done a bunch of deals, and I tend to sometimes talk over people's heads, I believe. And then sometimes this is what I'm told. And then other times I, I'm not complex enough. So in order to focus on the, what the people that need more information, or in other words, that haven't been students of mine now, obviously the students of mine, those, those people that took the, the uh, mailbox money mastermind, I know exactly where they are because, well, I taught them myself. So I can have much different conversations with them than I can with most other investors because they are on, not to brag, but a higher level. I mean, they've got a, a clear learning, a, a clear understanding. They have a full focus on what their investor identity is. They know where to find the money. They know where to, to source opportunity. They have a marketing plan together, a networking piece. They know their investor identity. They are well on the path. But I keep forgetting that, you know, I went through that mastermind. It was a little bit ago. We're getting ready to launch the next one, by the way. Starting in July... It's looking like if you have want more information on that, go to mailboxmoneymastermind.com. That's mailboxmoneymastermind.com. And if, if you have questions about that, you can just reach out to me via email or you can schedule an appointment on my calendar to talk about it. If you've got questions uh, or concerns or whatever you have, have to want to talk about, just go to mailboxmoneymastermind.com and uh, click there and that will get you on my calendar. But let's talk about today how to find funding for investment property. I hear this a lot. Everybody thinks that you know the money is the most important thing, right? Well, if I don't have the money, Tyler, then I can't buy any property. Therefore, I am wasting my time. Well, let's go ahead and dive into that because I'm going to do a little test here. I'm going to tell you how to talk about the different places that you can, quote unquote, find the money. I, get, I bet you if you don't know your investor identity, if you haven't taken personal and financial inventory, if you're not good at marketing, whether you have money or not, it's not going to matter because if you don't have any opportunities to match with the money, then what's the point? But let's go ahead and talk about the funding because that is, I, it, I think it's important for you to understand what's required for funding. So that way, when you're out looking for opportunity, you can match opportunity with funding that makes sense. As Jimmy Napier says, and Larry Harbold says, the fastest way to ruin a good deal is to put bad financing on it. I can't tell you how often I hear this. You know, somebody goes, I bought a new rental house. I just got to get that hard money loan paid off. And I sit there and go, what? What are you talking about hard money loan? Why'd you get a hard money loan for a rental property? 
Ladies and gentlemen, don't get a hard money loan for a rental property. Oh, don't worry. I'll pay it off in six months, Tyler. No, you won't. Chances are you might not. And if you do, or if you don't, you got big problems. Don't use credit cards and, and unsecured lines of credit. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but quickly, there's a lot of, of hubaloo going on right now about these unsecured lines of credit. You know, if you've got an LLC and a tax ID number, these knuckleheads will, will loan you half a million dollars and then they come after you if you don't pay them. And that's, that doesn't make good sense. I mean, honestly, folks, that doesn't make any logical sense to use those types of, of high interest rate debt. And they say, well, it's zero interest for 18 months. Yeah, well, the, the problem is in 19 months, you owe, or 18 months, you owe a lot of money and it's a rental property. So you're not going to be making tons and piles and piles and piles of cash in the first year. The first year is always the worst performer. So that said, leverage intelligently. Let's start with bankability. And what's, what's bankability? A lot of people ask me that. Bankability really means your ability to walk into a bank and borrow money. I mean, are you the type of person that when you walk into a bank, the security guard turns you around and walks you back out? Or are you the type of person where they bring you a cup of coffee and a donut and say, welcome to Wells Fargo, Mr. Chef. I've been both, I can tell you. <laughs> I've been the hero and the zero. I've walked into the bank and, and, and had Starbucks espresso waiting for me. And then I've also walked into the bank and they were like, dude, you're a train wreck. I've been both ways more than once. So that's the reality. I've, I've, I've grown, expanded, gotten better at things now, but there was a time that I was nervous about walking into a bank. Just, it just, I, business is a challenge, especially when you're starting out. That said, the good news is that I'm living proof that everything is fixable, right? Everybody has un, unforeseen circumstances, things that happen, Things that are out of control. Well, I can't. I'm not bankable because I got bad credit, or I'm not bankable because I don't have enough income. I'm not bankable because of this. And usually, when I hear that, I ask, "When was the last time you actually checked that?" And they say, "Well, it's been ten years, five years, two years, whatever the answer is." And and by what means did what means did you check it? Did you actually go through and apply for a mortgage or not? And usually, the answer is they hem haw around and they're like, "Oh, well." Not really, I guess not, and uh, you know, blah, 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 and they're a tap dance around it. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to put in a little bit of effort, please. Okay, so let's get started with bankability. First of all, use a broker, okay? Use a broker. I'm going to have uh, Frank Cotto, one of my lenders, come on here uh, probably in a couple weeks and talk to you guys about some new loan programs that are out for Florida investors. Uh, we'll get into that here in another episode, but Use a broker, not a bank, and, and not a banker. And the reason why I say that is bankers are not on commission. They're on salary, right, or hourly. You don't want some hourly schmuck that sits behind the counter that has no inkling, no no desire, no no motivation to approve you or disapprove you. And, you know, think about it. If you're that, that person sitting behind the counter, you're making your, I don't know, 40 grand a year, whatever they make at the bank, 50, 60 grand a year, and then somebody walks in there and it's making six figures. How many of those people you think live in abundance? How many of those people are like, gee, I wish I could be like Tommy. No, they're like, Tommy's a jerk because he's got more money than me. And I hate Tommy. And Tommy is not approved stamp. I mean, tell me that doesn't happen. You can't tell me that's never happened. I believe, I guarantee you that's happened. I'll di I digress. Anyway, you talk about bad credit, right? First of all, the only way you can repair your credit really is to understand what's going on with it. So start with, Get with a mortgage broker, have them pull your credit, and have them look at your mortgage application. If they tell you no, then the next question is, 
well, what will turn it into a yes? What is it specifically that I need to do to change the situation to make it better? What can I do to get approved? And a good mortgage broker will break that down for you. If you're in Florida, because mortgage brokers are licensed by state, by the way. So if you are in Florida and you're looking for a mortgage, I use Frank Cotto from Lincoln Lending. He's one of my lenders. Great guy. He can see outside the box and, and he's a smart dude. So I use him. That's why I've had him on the podcast before. Um, so he would tell you, well, you need to fix this. You need to fix that. You need to fix this and, and you'll be good to go. So they do what they call condition it, right? Now, once you get your credit repaired, first thing before you even get there, rather, I jumped ahead of myself before you even get there, establish a timeline, okay, to begin fixing the issues and set up a target date with your lender. So tell your lender, look, if I get these things done, if that, you know, how long is it going to take for, to adjust my credit report? And realistically, is it six months? Is it a year? Is it a, you know, a decade? What does it look like? And and the end of the day, they're always going to usually tell you when you get your credit, your credit fixed, it takes, I don't know, three, six months, three to six months, I should say, to get things back on track and get you squared away. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it's sooner, but establish a timeline with the lender. And more importantly, establish a timeline with yourself. Say, you know, I've got to dispute these things and I'm going to do it within the next seven days. Okay. And make that your one thing. Take that seven days and sort it out. If you find something in your credit report, that's not accurate, then dispute it or reach out to the, 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 uh, creditor. And I don't even mean bad credit guys. I mean, if your credit card shows a balance, but you don't have a balance and you paid it off three, four months ago, then it'd be a good idea to call you, whoever issues your credit card and say, I need you to, to update your report. Uh, to reflect that my credit card is paid paid off and free and clear because that in itself could impact your credit score. This is not a credit repair episode, nor is this about bad credit episode, but I just wanted to add those things in. Make sure that you first, before you talk to the mortgage broker, gather all your financial verification data. Now they're going to require a lot of information, right? So go ahead in the first week, decide that in the first week you call uncle Frank on, if you're in Florida, you call Frank, or if you're if you're in Colorado, you call whoever your mortgage broker is in Colorado. You find a good one, right, that wants to work and is on commission, and you ask them for a list of everything that you need to get together. And before you bother them about am I approved yet, make sure that you get all, and when I pay, by all, I mean 100% of the documentation you need to get approved, make sure you have that all together and get it organized. I know you're a financial train wreck, and I know that your receipts are all over the place and in your glove box and in your desk and you know, you got a rubber band around them and your dog ate it and all these other good things, but you know, excuses are over with you. If you're tired of being not financially free or broke for a better lack of a better word, then get your act together and get your documents together and get them laid out. You know, they always will give you a checklist. Any lender will give you a good checklist of the things that you need. Make sure you get those documents. Like, well, I don't have my tax returns. Well, is that because you didn't file or because you don't have them? Well, then ask the lender if they will accept transcripts. If you used H&R Block or one of those tax prep services or a CPA, I bet you that whoever did your taxes probably has a copy. I know some of you right now are going, well, I do my own taxes, Tyler. And to that I say, you're a moron. Stop doing your own taxes. Spend a couple hundred bucks and hire a CPA that understands taxes better than you. And no, you are not an expert in taxes. I guarantee it, unless you're a CPA. And even then, you probably shouldn't work. You know, doctors don't heal themselves, they go to another doctor. If you wanted surgery, would you do it on yourself? No, you would go to your buddy, the surgeon and have him take care of it. So the next thing would be write a, 
get a written outline. You know, take it, take some time, grab a legal pad, write out a written guy outline of your debt plan, how specifically you're going to use the institutional debt. So, for example, if you're approved for a home equity loan and you're approved for a mortgage, how are you going to use that? It's time to write down a plan because if you have a plan, if it's in writing, you you have a better chance of sticking to it. If you don't, you won't. It's just that simple. So that's really it about about bankability. Bankability really comes down to having the documentation that the lenders want and having a credit score somewhere above a 540, right? And you can get a mortgage. And people are like, what about down payment, Tyler? Don't worry, we'll get to that. There's all kinds of different ways to come up with a down payment. So bear with me. That's at the end of the episode. And don't skip ahead, I'll know. Anyway, uh, wholesale flip method. This is very difficult. And by wholesale flip method, what I mean is the people that say, I'm going to wholesale or flip my way to rental property. Well, you are not going to wholesale or flip your way to anything. So just stop. Just stop. Because you're lying to yourself. Just stop. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, really. Home and Garden Television is about the only people that pull that off, right? So don't be stupid. Just stop believing that because it's a lie. Stop lying to yourself. You're killing me. Shoo, that was painful. Now that we got that out of the way, let's get back to, I want to I hit you a couple with a couple more points. Really, I do, because I don't think you quite got it. Now, understand that the, the wholesale flip method, as far as flipping your way to, to uh, cash flowing assets, is very difficult to accomplish because of the costs attributed to marketing and the amount of time needed. Now, I know every one of you that I talk to on the phone are like, geez, Tyler, I don't have enough time to invest in real estate. This is why people call me and give me their money to invest because they don't have the time. And I have the team and the people set up to invest for them, right? Everybody's out of time these days. Everybody said technology was supposed to make our life easier. In reality, we have no time anymore, right? Nobody's got time for anything. But uh, so we build teams for specific tasks. And the wholesaling houses or flipping houses, guys, takes a ton of time. I'm here to tell you. Many people think they can wholesale or flip their way to buy and hold. It just, it's a trap, really, is what it is. It's just a trap. Now, it takes a ton of marketing to find distressed sellers. And that is going to cost you an absolute fortune doing direct mail. So let's you spend all that money to go out and market to get your motivated seller. And then you flip the house. Why would you do that? I don't understand. If you're going to, you spend two, three thousand dollars in a mailing and then you wholesale a house for five grand, you lost money. Yes, that's right. Two, three thousand dollars on mailing. Then you flip the house for five grand. Yes, that would leave you with a two thousand dollar profit. But at the end of the day, how much is your time worth? You got to factor that. Sure, you got some bandit signs in the mix, right? You probably swiped your credit card to eat during the time you were wholesaling and flipping houses, which means you paid interest. That comes off your profit. So by the time you're done, you're actually upside down in life. And that's just not cool, dude. So here's the deal. Or do that, I should say. Either one. It doesn't matter. What matters is don't go out and blow all this time and money to find an opportunity and then give it to somebody else. That just doesn't make sense. That defies logic. I don't get it. Lots of people lose money flipping houses and wholesaling. Lots of different ways. Dishonest, untalented contractors changing market conditions. If you don't think the market's going to shift soon, you're crazy. Put down the ganja to get, get, put away the medical marijuana card. You are stoned. If you think that the real estate industry is not going to take, or the market is not going to take a serious crash. Now, if you are a buy and hold investor and you have fixed rate financing, breathe easy. You got nothing to worry about. Just relax, ride it out. And if you're a wholesaler or a flipper, you're going to be flipping burgers is what you're going to be flipping because there's going to be nothing for you to flip because nobody in their right mind is going to be buying pretty houses when a mar- in a downturn. It's just not how it works. 
So, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe you guys can paint my house or something while the market's busy flipping or crashing rather. And uh, you can cut my grass if I had it. And uh, I don't know, wash the jet ski because that's the only thing you're going to be able to do when the market crashes. The rest of us buy and hold landlords, we're going to be good to go. We're going to be sitting at the beach riding our jet skis and having a good old time, right? Let's move on to crowdfunding portals. And this is getting trendy, right? There's all kinds of crowdfunding portals out there now that are out there doing their thing and and whatever. First of all, this is only my experience. I find them very challenging to to navigate. They want a DNA sample and everything else. I mean, I can't believe the amount of effort your average newbie investor will go through on one of these cloud-forming, cloud crowdfunding, I can't talk, crowdfunding websites to get themselves a couple hundred grand. I mean, it's, you might as well go ahead and do your master's thesis is easier than getting private money on a $200,000 flip project. Doesn't make sense to me. It's a ton of information and not to mention they're going to want an appraisal, all kinds of verifications, which not not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with that. I just think there's a whole bunch of hoops you have to jump through that just takes a whole bunch of time and energy, especially if you're, if you're dumb enough to flip the houses. So why would you do that? I mean, there's so much easier ways to get money. I mean, money's easy. It really is. I mean, the institutional world tries to make it really challenging. I, I don't I don't get it. But they're really, really good at making it challenging. So let's move on to raising private capital. That's right, raising private capital. Now, a lot of you are thinking, well, I'm not some Fortune 500 stockbroker. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have money for a private placement memorandum. I don't have two nickels to rub together. I don't have, I don't have, I can't do uh, all this limiting beliefs. Stop it. All these limiting beliefs aren't doing you any good. Okay. Well, I'm afraid that the person that's, that's going to give me money is smarter than me and they're, they're going to say no, and then I'm going to be embarrassed or they're going to laugh at me or I can't get a deal or, you know, everybody says this all the time. I swear to it, it just, it drives me nuts. That's how many people say this over and over and over again. These limiting beliefs are driving me crazy. Stop doing it because you're hurting yourself. You're just simply hurting yourself. Work smarter, not harder. Look at self-directed IRA account holders. For one, what's a self-directed IRA? I've talked about it a hundred times, but I'll talk about it again. A self-directed IRA is just that, an individual retirement account that the owner of the account gets to self-direct. That retirement account is there uh, to be to be used, right? It's money that needs to be invested. So they need help a lot of times, right? People with self-directed IRAs, they may have the money, but they certainly, in most cases, don't have the expertise to invest money into the real estate market. They're not real estate investors like you are. They haven't gone through the mailbox money mastermind. They're not experts at acquiring real estate because they haven't had the proper training. They haven't had the proper experience. Unlike you, you have gone to, you've taken the proper training. You've done a couple deals by now, right? You have some documented, verified education, which is one of the big reasons I'm doing the mastermind, guys is to give you that documentation, that experience, so you don't sound like a ding-dong when you're out there trying to raise money, right? So you work with the self-directed IRA account holders because they need you, and that's the mindset you got to get your head around, is that they need you probably more than you need them. I'm here to tell you. Because every once in a while, I meet some really squirrely ones. Boy, do I meet some squirrely ones. But um, that said... That's okay. I just it just means I get to pick and choose who I do business with. And I don't do business with a lot of people. There are a lot of people that want to do business with me, but for whatever reason, I just don't want to do business with them because they they're they're unstable, they might be cranky, they're they're hard to deal with, they're unreasonable, they're unethical. Lots of different reasons. I won't do business with with bad people. I just won't. I don't need that money that bad. Finding the money is not tough. I'm looking I'm actually getting ready to raising money for a couple of deals right now. So that said, 
if you and I have already had a conversation or you're thinking about calling me and you've always wanted to get your money moving, now's the time to pick up the phone and ringy dingy, right? Get on my calendar. Go to cashflowguys.com forward slash book Tyler, cashflowguys.com forward slash book Tyler, get, take a 15 minute time slot or an investor time slot, get on the phone with me and find out what opportunities we have available. Got all kinds of opportunities available right now. Right now we are deal rich and cash poor this week. We'll see next week. We will be deal uh, cash poor or cash rich and deal poor. (laughs) Just the nature of the beast. But that's why we're always, always, always raising money, which brings me to the next point. If you're raising private, when's the right time to raise private capital, Tyler? When should I raise capital first or should I go out and find opportunity? Yes is the answer to that question. And that means do both. You should always be doing both raising capital and looking for opportunity simultaneously because it's not every day that you're going to have both exactly when you need them. Usually you have one and then you have to go get the other. That's just reality, guys. That's every day for me. I've been sitting on about three, four million dollars of investor capital up until for months, months up until the last 30 days. And now I got people that are, they're out of town or that they don't like the deal, or maybe they want a different deal or they want to invest for tax benefits or they don't want tax benefits. They want cash flow, cash flow or whatever the reason may be. Now we're, we, we need more investors. We need more capital. We need to increase our database. That's just the rea- the, the reality of it. Some folks we've placed their capital. They're buying notes or they're buying uh, multifamily with us or they're investing in you know the smaller stuff, the bigger stuff. It's all over the place. We're raising money for, for properties, for other syndicators that make sense. Not all of them, but, but uh, ones that make sense. We're doing that as well. So we've got lots of different things going on. And a lot of those folks have self-directed IRAs. So self-directed IRAs, they can be converted. So think about, I shouldn't say that. I meant to say standard IRA account holders can be converted quite often to self-directed IRAs, okay? They can be converted over to self-directed IRAs. And the next question I'm sure you have is, how do they do that, Tyler? Well, you could, that all begins with reading the book, the uh, SD, as in self-directed, SD, as in self-directed, IRA, as an individual retirement account, handbook.com, handbook.com. You can go to, to Amazon and search that. It's called Self-Directed IRA Handbook. It's written by Matt Sorensen, Matt with a one T. Uh, he's an attorney of mine. He's a great guy. He wrote the book. It's a great book. It's a simple read. Buy a copy. Keep it with you. Frankly, it should live in your glove box until you become an expert at converting self-directed IRAs. That way you can ask, answer people's questions, right? Think of it this way. When you're raising capital for folks that have IRAs, you are helping others accomplish what they are unable, unwilling, or afraid to do for themselves. So just to summarize it, folks, you know, the deal has to make sense. And by that, I mean, it has to make sense for the funding partner. If you're doing one of these reverse negative subject two, subject three, backwards, wholesale flip, daisy chain, whatever the hell you think you're doing, then no, you're, no, you're going to have a hard time raising money for that. Well, because you're a ding dong. That's, that's why, if you're wondering why, why, Tyler, why can't I raise money for my deal? Because it doesn't make sense. And if your paperwork isn't good and, and you're, you're, you're BSing yourself with some bogus ARV, and you're like, oh, dude, we're going to get rich off of this. All we need is like 100 grand, and we're all going to get rich. Well, that says problem. That says we're going to lose money. That says I'm going to go broke in the process here. So any investor worth their salt is going to run screaming for that deal. So make deals that are profitable, okay? And more importantly, make deals that can afford the debt. And that's the thing that a lot of people miss is it needs to be able to afford the debt. I always say, 
and I'm going to coin this phrase, always hesitate to speculate. Okay. Always hesitate to speculate is a buy and hold investor. You're a buy and hold investor, which means you shouldn't be doing a whole lot of speculating. You should be able to go off of historical data fact from the past. You should have done your research to understand what your rents are. You should have already done all this information. So you'd always make sure that if you are speculating, you darn sure better be hesitating before you pull that trigger. And I'm not trying to say that you need to have an uh, analysis paralysis. The other part of that is if you're speculating like I'm going to go ahead and use hard money or I'm going to swipe a credit card to pull the trigger on this deal and I'll figure out the, how to finance it the right way later. Ladies and gentlemen, that's called a speculation play. That is dumb. Don't do that. Don't fall into that trap. Okay. Don't let yourself get sucked in. I know it's easy and geez, if I just had the money and I can pay it, take an extra 10 grand from the unsecured debt and I can pay off my other credit card. And that's where you get into the slippery slope and uh, it gets really bad really quick. So don't go down that road, please, please, please. Always understand. Last thing, make sure that you understand that many people value their time more than the money. So the next time you have that limiting belief that nobody's going to invest in my deal, Tyler, because I don't have any experience or because I don't have any deals or I don't have this, I don't have that. Stop thinking about what you don't have and focus on what you do have. What you do have apparently is an opportunity in front of you. What you obviously have is a little more time than the person that has the capital because obviously if they have the capital and it's not deployed, it's either because they don't have the knowledge or they don't have the time to find something for them to put their capital into, or maybe they don't have the education, the knowledge, the team. Learn to recognize when that happens and capitalize on that, ladies and gentlemen. Learn to recognize it and capitalize it. That's all I got for you this week. I'm going to wrap it up there. Lastly, if you have not joined our Facebook group, go to cashflowguys.com forward slash group, cashflowguys.com forward slash group. And once again, we're going to be, uh, we're, we're marketing for the mastermind. We're going to take a small number of people into the mastermind. It's going to be a very close, very intimate group to get you out of the rat race and teach you how to raise money, how to find opportunity and get you the information you need. We're going to help you dig deep and discover your investor identity. And most importantly, get you over the finish line to get you financially free. To find out more about that, go to mailboxmoneymastermind.com. That's mailboxmoneymastermind.com. Hope you have a great week and we'll catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race. <laughs>